Father, we thank you that this is possible for us to gather in this way. And not only us here at MCC, but also around the world, people are plugging in and understanding and seeing and knowing and being challenged by your Holy Spirit. We ask, Father, that at this time that you were very aware of that this would happen worldwide, that we know that you are in control. And though the enemy may throw things at humanity, it may try to discourage us as the church, that we would be able to trust in the Lord and know that he is with us. He will not forsake his own. He's the faithful one, the one who loves us so dearly. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we can come to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to share this morning what I left about three weeks ago, I think it is, or more in our study through the book of Joshua. Maybe some of you think that we had finished it, but we took a break for a few weeks to focus on the Resurrection Sunday and those special Sundays around that. And so we're back again in these next two weeks, today and next week, into finishing off the Joshua story, the account. And so this will be more of just teaching, but I desire from my heart that it'll be for you as a work of the Holy Spirit in your hearts, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you know what they are. And more than you, the Lord knows what those things are that you're dealing with and what is behind it and how to take you through that. And so we want to share with you from the book of Joshua. Our theme through the book of Joshua has been finding rest. And as I've mentioned many, many times, that seems to be a very odd theme statement. And the verses just don't seem to come through that strongly in the book of Joshua as we read it by ourselves. But with the commentary of the Bible, interpreting the Bible, according to Hebrews, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then, it's not happening yet, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And then here's the encouragement part where we're in this together as the body of Christ. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience as those who did not go in and take rest and trust in the Lord. May we be of those who will learn how to rest and trust. Early Christians of the New Testament were enabled by the Holy Spirit to draw deep truths out of the Old Testament so that we can understand that spiritual significance for us today. And verse 11 is significant for us. Let us therefore make every effort. No, not that kind of effort. <sighs> the effort to sit back 
in the arms of Jesus to enter that rest which he has already accomplished for us. And that is a practical truth that we'll discover this morning. The outline is from many chapters today. We're burning up pages of this book. Joshua 13 to 22. Two old men, and I more than anybody in this church knows what it's like to be an old man. And I'll share more about that. B part is walk through the land and then dividing the land so that we have an inheritance, a wonderful inheritance as the children of the king. Okay, let's uh, look at two old men. Joshua, it says, was old and advanced in years. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. This is the land that remains for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then down in verse 14, only to the tribe of Levi did he not give an inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he spoke to him the Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, verse 33 says. The scriptures record, Joshua was old and advanced in years. And here the Lord comes along and says to him, he already knows it, because I think part of Joshua was written by Joshua. But the Lord says to him, you are old and advanced in years. And I just say to my wife and others, well, what do you think you're going to get out of an 80-year-old man? And Joshua was about that age. And so we as old men in olden times, emphasis on the olden times, old men were respected and old women were respected. In our day and age, it's the young, it's the brave, the daring, and you know what's happening right now throughout the world? The old are being attacked through this coronavirus. Do I feel threatened? Well, not really, because I do trust in the Lord my God. And he knows how vulnerable I am, we are at this age. But we have had so many experiences through our years that our trust is in the name of the Lord, not in our own strength, not in our own mind, but from the Spirit of God, from his word. And we understand that there is an inheritance to continue, to continue, to continue walking with the Lord in the promises of God. The Lord does talk about the fact that there is very much of the land that remains to be possessed. And you know, Katie and I feel very strongly about that statement. There is very much of the land that remains to be possessed. We need to understand that and make that known to the ones we love and cherish here at MCC and you out there who have been following us. 
We want people to pray for Japan. We want people to know that the Lord has not given up on this people here in Japan. And we do have a promise and an inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, He is our inheritance. And we want to share that wealth. We want to share who He is and how we may know Him better and how other people will get to know Him. You know that the word inheritance in these chapters that we're talking about right now are mentioned 52 times in this last section of the book of Joshua. Inheritance, inheritance, inheritance. It's about claiming what God has promised to his people. We need to take that to heart these days. This isn't the time to throw up our hands and say, well, all is lost. Look at us. The church is empty here. Well, except for four of us. But there's also another service going on right now above us. And I think there's about four or five people there as well. But we have more in attendance in this session here, in this basement, than we regularly have in a normal physical meeting together. So we praise the Lord for this opportunity to share the word, to share the vision. And upstairs is about the same number of people. So basically we're about 250 people gathering together here in Kichijoji through this wire that we're hooked together with. Well, bless you. Let's go to the next point. We have Caleb. You remember Caleb and Joshua? Don't you remember the story of Caleb and Joshua and the other spies? They went into the land before the rest of the children of Israel to spy out the land. These were young men in their prime. And now both of them are old, old men. Caleb said to Joshua, you know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old. Wow, 40 years old. I can't even remember that. When Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. Now then, give me this mountain about which the Lord spoke on that day. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb for an inheritance. And then that word of encouragement. Then the land had rest from war. You know, inheritances are incredible. And particularly when they're God-given. Now, there are some people who have received inheritances that have ruined their lives. But this inheritance is an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. And these two men, Caleb and Joshua, understood that, that when God gives something, he doesn't just say, okay, well, use it as you will. Katie and I look back at what the Lord has given us as an inheritance. Some of you wonder, well, when are Ron and Katie going to retire? Well, I think we've already tried several times and we're just giving up to the idea that there is no retirement for Christians. This is 
the way it's going to be until we're lifted off this earth or we're in a box. But by the Caleb's and Joshua's, the Lord has allowed us to observe our mentors. And I think we mentioned their names in the past, but men and women of God who showed us the way to serve the Lord. Grandpa Herbert Hudson Taylor, whom Katie sat on his knee in a prison camp when she was three years old. Her heart from a very young age, what? To become a missionary. My grandmother, who always had a heart to see that I was cared for in the family, was significant in my life by directing her sons to take care of my brother and I. And we grew up in Christian homes. And I had come to know Jesus Christ at the age of 12. What mercy, what grace. And my heart also said, when I accepted Jesus as Savior, in the same breath, I said, and make me a missionary. Wow, what incredible inheritance. And then along come a couple of Canadians. Well, actually, he was an American, but he married a backwoods Canadian girl. They were our mentors, Don and Vivian Bruck, who were instrumental in guiding us to Japan. We could go on reminiscing all the ones who were our models in those days. Men and women who never retired from serving the Lord. So we never had a chance at retirement. But oh, are we so thankful that we're not retired. Praise the Lord. See, I can't even stop from getting emotional in front of a, a screen. Our B point, walk through the land, Joshua 16 to 19. Wow, we're really burning up these pages. First point, occupation stalled, chapters 16 and 17. The sons of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim received their inheritance, but they did not drive out the Canaanites. I was going to say Canadians. They didn't drive out the Canaanites. They, the Canaanites, became forced laborers. But nonetheless, these tribes received their inheritance. But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. And they did not drive them out completely. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, who Manasseh and Ephraim were the sons of Joseph. You will drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots, even though they're strong and mechanized. One of the principles of Bible study is to study the context of a passage of Scripture. Understand the main principles of the passage as thoroughly as possible, and then take your findings to apply the principles to the reality of our lives. The Bible is full of historical truth and principle of life for us today. Reading the Bible daily is great, but if the truths are not applied to our lives in practical ways, there won't be much fruit or growth in our lives. Application is 95% of the work of the Holy Spirit through God's Word. Ask the Holy Spirit. 
our teacher, to make the truths you read come to real life application and practical action. We can have the whole Bible in our hands or on our desks, like the tribes of Israel had conquered the land. But if we don't walk through the land in biblical application, having the Holy Spirit as our teacher and guide, it really doesn't have practical application to our lives. I challenge you in that as an old man. Do it. Apply the truths that you already know. Let the Holy Spirit impress them into your heart so that you, like Caleb and Joshua, or if you care to, follow Katie and I. We're so thankful for those who challenged us. And so we challenge you as well. A meeting in Shiloh. Well, there's always times when things rub the wrong way or are taken out of context or somebody jumps to the conclusion. Well, we can write them off. But this, let's read our passage. Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land? When the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you, provide for yourselves three men for each tribe, that I may send them, and that they may arise and walk through the land and write a description of their inheritance. Then they shall return to me. Number three, the lottery. Aha, you might say, well, just hold on, let's read. Go and walk through the land and describe it and return to me that I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities in seven divisions in a book. And they came to Joshua at the camp of Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And then Joshua divided the land to the sons of Israel according to the divisions. And then in verse 49, when they finished apportioning the land, they gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun. But let's just go back up to the earlier verses. Go and walk through the land. I already emphasized that. But then I will cast lots for you. You know, we have lotteries here in Japan, right? They're big time in the United States and Canada. They are a trap. They are a disaster. And I remember reading a few years ago a study on what happens to those who win the lottery. And about 99% of them end up committing a hideous crime, committing suicide, or just wasting their lives and wasting all that wealth. That's not the kind of inheritance that we go to the lottery. And we're not talking about that kind of inheritance by lots. It's not that kind of a lottery. This was something that was commanded by the Lord to make decisions. But it wasn't like those lots. Well, let's just look at the word of what is actually being said here in verse 8. I will cast lots for you here before the Lord. Before the Lord. That's significant in this 
explanation. It's not like going and putting down five bucks for a ticket that you hope that you win. This is something that's laid solemnly before the Lord for his definition, for his desire, for his direction. We need to understand that. The Bible does not condone the lottery, but it does often bring us to two very good decisions side by side. Which one do we choose? How do we do this? We pray about it. We think about it. We ask the Lord to lead us. We trust his leading. And he says, go this way. And we go. And it turns out this was the Lord's will and purpose. And then looking back, you say, wow, we could have gone this other way and look where it would have taken us. We didn't know. When they had finished a portion in the land, they gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun. You know, Joshua had fought many years for Israel and for his fellow men and received honor. And we, as the people of God here in 2020, I thank God for Joshua and his testimony. He was a man like us. He walked like us. He was very practical, but he was a man who had the heart of the Lord and the heart of the Lord's people. And what does the land look like? Let me just look at this briefly. The land of Israel, the west side of Jordan, on the Mediterranean side, Asher, Naphtali, Zebulun, Issachar, Manasseh, Ephraim, Dan, Benjamin, Judah, and Simeon. Those lands apportioned to them. And on the desert side, on the other side of the Jordan River, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. Now you notice that there's one name mentioned twice, and that was Manasseh. That was Manasseh's part on the east and Manasseh's side on the west. And you can go back, and I didn't put down the reference of where you can see where they had chosen that land even before they went into the uh, promised land across the Jordan and inherited a large piece of land. Putting it into the context of our modern world today, this land is probably taking up more public space in the news, radio, TV, in terms of, well, the Israelites, they're pushing and pushing and pushing for more land. You know what? This land that was prescribed for them by God, and I truly believe this, is much larger than what Israel has today. But look at the Palestinians. Yes, we have heart for them. And you know what? I believe the Lord is working in their hearts. Many are turning to the Lord in these last days. But did you know the size of Israel today? What do you guess is the size in relation to, say, a small country like Japan? Well, let me just share with you a perspective on this. 
Japan has 378,000 square kilometers of land mass. Israel has 22,000 compared to 378,000 square kilometers. What are we talking about? You know, the promises of God are larger than what we can really need or use or, or be able to, to walk in and, and enjoy. And the enemy is saying, I want that. I want this. And he comes in and tries to steal and to take away from the church and from his people and from the promised people of Israel. God will make everything right in his time. And point C, dividing the land. Point number one, it talks about cities of refuge. And I, I don't know whether you are aware that uh, in the United States, there are this term, cities of refuge, is uh, quite predominant and controlling. Many cities are turning to this. But you know what? All they've done is taking the title, but making it into their own power play. They are not true cities of refuge. In fact, quite the opposite. Let's read what a city of refuge is. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally, without premeditation, may flee there and they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. God is a God of repentance and mercy. And so made this law that if anyone unintentionally killed someone or their life ended because of their foolish act or an accident, then they could go to that city and until they were judged and had a right judgment, they couldn't just be killed right off. There had to be a court that would allow them to be judged properly. Enough of that commentary, but I just wanted to draw attention to that fact that those cities were places of refuge, peace, and order, not of violence like we have in many cities of the world. The Lord is the Lord of all the earth. And there were 48 cities for the Levites they had no inheritance to the land. But you know what? God again, merciful, generous God, allowed the Levites, who, by the way, were very blessed with cattle and sheep, and so they needed pasture land. And in each of the cases of these 48 cities, those were places of grasslands that the uh, Levites could use for their herds. They didn't own any of the land, but they were allotted places in the cities, of 48 cities. Then the heads of the households of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua, and the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and spoke to them at Shiloh, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to live in with their pasture lands for our cattle. So the sons of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance so the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. 
according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made failed. What good words. What good results of following the way of the Lord. He is so just, merciful, generous, able to support and give of the abundance of his creation to those of his people. And not only this earth, but also of heaven. And we look forward to being together in what God intended for his people. And then thirdly, Joshua's instructions to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. Then Joshua summoned Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, who have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have listened to my voice, and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he spoke to them. Therefore turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession beyond the Jordan. Only be careful to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways. Hold fast to him. Serve him with all your heart with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent these warriors, these people who had stood true during the days of fighting and gaining the land, the promised land, and he sent them away to their inheritance, which they had already chosen years and years previous. And number four, the witness. This is a hard passage but I think that it has some teaching for us in the church. And that's why I include it. Israel's angry question. When RGM built an altar there by the Jordan. RGM stands for Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. When the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. Wow. They've had rest, they've had peace, they conquered the land to an extent, and now they're distinguishing between themselves as to going to war against part of Israel. What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from the Lord this day by building yourself an altar to rebel against the Lord this day? Well, it happens that God had said previously that you should build an altar for sacrifices in a certain place on the west side of Israel. And that was where you were to come to worship and to bring your sacrifices. But here it sounds like, the, at least the rumor came, that these three tribes had built an altar for themselves on the opposite side, which they were commanded not to do. Let's follow the story. What is Reuben and Gad and Manasseh's answer? The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, they repeated. He knows and may Israel itself know. But truly, we have done this out of concern. In time to come, your sons may say to our sons, what have you to do with the Lord, you who are living across the Jordan? What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? You have no portion in the Lord. Wow. So Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, 
built a memorial altar. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, it shall be a witness between our generations after us. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. I think this is important for us as we consider how we live together, jumping to conclusions sometimes without sitting down and talking through and understanding why some actions were taken. I think we are drawn into this by sometimes our own thoughts and not necessarily the Lord's. We really need to take into consideration the things that we take issue with and let the Lord be the one who sorts out those things that we are not able to really see clearly, asking him to lead us and direct us and bring us to the place where we can sit together as brothers and sisters in Christ and not let our differences separate us, bring us into the unity that the Lord wants, that his name may be praised in this land. And we have churches throughout the world that separate themselves from each other. And I trust that God will teach us how to learn, how to live among ourselves as believers in Christ and not be separated in these days. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. I want to just share with you some principles that I was thinking about this week as I was putting this message together and thinking about the principles to live by. And these are just gatherings of my thoughts. They're not necessarily one particular verse or it's just a, a sense of God's principles for living together. The first one, our lives are in the hands of the Lord, our maker. Israel had many opportunities to understand that truth. I think it's a good principle. And next, his goodness and mercy are for all people, even for those who are outside. In the book of Joshua, we have the Gibeonites who trick them. But God's goodness and mercy are for all people. Let's remember that. Every good and perfect gift is another principle. Those perfect gifts are from him. He doesn't give us gifts that are worthless. He gives us gifts in one another, to us together, that we might use them for his honor and glory and praise, for his church, for his work here in Japan and around the world. And fourthly, we are his possession. Remember that. We are his possession. Keep that in your mind and your hearts. And next, our Heavenly Father knows our needs and provides for us. I hate to bring this title into this because we immediately go to the material things. Jehovah Jireh. God, our provider, not just for our bodily needs, but also for our spiritual needs. Our Heavenly Father knows our needs and provides for us. And how has he provided? By giving us what was most precious to him, his son, his only begotten son, 
Jesus Christ. And we took him and we crucified him. Yes, we did. I wasn't there, you weren't there, but we did it in our hearts when we were alien from him. He provided salvation for us when we didn't even know him. And next, we are given the right of choice, good and bad. And that seems to be almost like a loaded gun. But he does give us that right of choice. He gave it to Adam and Eve. He gives it to you and I for good or bad. But that is a principle we need to keep in mind. We need to come to him with a sense of awe and of his person. And when he says no, that's not good for you, Ron, for you to say, okay, I'll lay it down and I'll follow you, Lord Jesus. And then lastly, repentance is never turned aside. Never. If it's true repentance, and God knows the heart of a repentant man, woman, and child. He really does. And he doesn't spurn us or turn us aside. But there is a limit. There is a time limit on when delaying is too late. And we need to keep that in mind as well. I might add another principle in that. Don't delay. But repentance is never turned aside. Bless you, dear people of God. We thank the Lord that we are not separated in spirit. And we look forward to the day in which we'll be back together. In these times, we want to learn how to walk as those who have hope, as those who, not flaunting the laws or the restrictions, but thanking the Lord for this opportunity to take another look at life and to understand what the Lord has for us in our lives. May it be a time of reflection and repentance of really tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Let's take courage and encourage our families, encourage our friends, our bosses who we might uh, only meet over the internet or whatever, so that we are the people of God. Let's make him known because he's worthy, so worthy to be praised. Mm -hmm. Amen.